Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode. Today we are joined with the amazing guest. He has written so many books, including New York Times best-selling books and achieved so many awards and titles, especially in the area of where he shows his understanding like with humans and non-human beings, like how the man-made changes on this planet Earth is affecting the lives of humans, non-human beings and their culture. So this is going to be very new talk, new type of talk on my channel. But that's why I, I'm sure like you're going to get a valuable information from today and uh, today's episode. So please help me in welcoming New York Times bestselling author, Carl Safina. Carl, thank you so much for coming to the show. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. <laughs> yes, Carl. Uh, like I was like, uh, we were talking before uh, the recording and I mentioned that this was like a first kind of book when I start reading like related to the animals. Mm -hmm. Before that, I was usually reading like business books and investment books. And one thing I really love about it, like you really put so much details about the animal cultures. And there was one question came up in my mind when I was reading this book was that like, who is contributing more, I would say, on, to the planet Earth? Like, are we sharing these spaces with the animals or are animals sharing the planet Earth with us? Uh, let, let's say, like, who is contributing more toward life balance and sustainability of planet Earth? Oh, well, uh, there's no question that we are harming the planet uh, Tremendously. I mean, human beings have made ourselves um, in, uh, in what's the word I'm looking for? Let me try this again. Uh, human beings have made ourselves incompatible mm -hmm. with the rest of life on Earth. We, we are damaging all the physical life support systems, the, the air, the water, um, the climate, we, we have caused a tremendous amount of pollution of different kinds. We have added trillions of tons of plastic. Um, we're, we're causing a mass extinction of other species and we are not compatible with life on this planet. It's very unfortunate because we are capable of appreciating life in, in ways that are greater than the capacities of other species. We're capable of being more compassionate than other species, but collectively, we are by far the most brutal and destructive species that has ever occurred on this planet. And, and we are uh, literally making it impossible for many other things to continue to survive. Wow. But can we do something like, would you, do you have some suggestion? Like, can we put some efforts now or maybe even the future generation? Can, can, can we do something to save, save it or maybe get to the level of equal contributing as the animals? Well, look at what we are doing and how we do it you know we have we have an industrial society that views the the rest of the world as totally without any value 
So we see the world as a, a big mine and a big warehouse of inventory and a big sink for all of our pollution. Yeah. There's plenty of thinking that is very different from that, but that's the way that we generally think and operate in the world as it has become westernized. There are people even in the industrial sector and even a few economists who talk about a circular economy, viewing all the material and all of the byproducts as needing to come through the system and back into recycled use. And to create an economy like that, is that impossible? Well, all of the rest of nature does it that way. So it's not impossible. It's just that we don't care. So far, we don't care because we have a view of the world as a place that has no intrinsic value. And, and this is a distorted view. It's actually, I, I would say, a psychotic view of the rest of the world. A lot of other cultures view things differently. They have tremendous respect for the world. They are very concerned about maintaining balances. They see the human place in the cosmos as a place where, where we have to maintain the balances that exist. They see the physical world and the spirit world as totally intertwined. They, they've, they have all kinds of ideas that are different from our idea. Our idea meaning the, the Western idea that has globalized the, the way things are done in engineering and in the economy. The Western idea, which started with Plato in Greece, is that the world is a flawed place and that, and that perfection is to be sought off of the world, away from the world. The Western religions have the same view. They got a lot of that from Plato. So they created a heaven that is not on the earth. There, there is no idea that we're supposed to um, you know, take care of this place. What we're supposed to do is get off of this place, focus our attention on getting to heaven. And, and don't worry about the world. I mean, and these are deep philosophical and, and, and faith-based values that drive how we operate from day to day, how we operate our business, how we, how we think about things. And they are enormously destructive views, but they're not the only option. They're, like I said, every culture uh, in South Asia, in East Asia, all the indigenous cultures had ancient wisdom traditions that had to do with uh, valuing the earth, maintaining balances, thinking a few generations ahead, what will our actions do for, in, in the North American uh, indigenous case, very famously for seven generations. But we don't even think about one generation we're, we're, we're destroying many of the options for our own children and we cannot seem to get our act together to consider even the children we're raising right now and what, what their world will be like in terms of all of this pollution, the destabilization of the climate, the, the, 
the fires and the floods and the effects that all of the climate instability will have on agriculture. And look at what COVID has done to our economy. I mean, this is a, a very mild pandemic. It, it only it kills about 3% of the people who, who get infected. And, and yet look at the tremendous amount of disruption in the supply chains and everything else. And, and, and we are doing nothing about the enormous disruption that we're causing to the environment. And to say, to say nothing at all about caring about the the intrinsic value and, and the rights of other species to continue to exist as they have for tens of millions or hundreds of millions of years. So that's a long answer to your question. You know, yeah. who contributes more to life on this planet, humans or all of the other life on this planet? Well, it's not humans, I'm afraid. So do, and uh, during COVID, like I also remember, like I had once news that when people were sitting at their homes, there were many animals like who started coming on the streets who never even see the faces of human before. I mean, like that, that was so much amazing, like to react about. So Carl, like when you were talking about the uh, animals, I was, I'm curious on like how you started this journey. <laughs> like when you were younger, what was that one thing that caught your attention? You said, Carl, when I'm going to grow up, I want to learn more about animals. I want to pursue about this career. Was there any specific yeah. things you remember? Well, uh, yeah, there are a couple of specific things I remember, actually. For, for some reason that I don't know and I don't really understand, I've just always really been totally fascinated with animals. Mm. And I lived in Brooklyn in an apartment building until I was 10 years old. So I, I had almost no contact with anything wild or, or nature as we think of it, you know, trees and forests and, and yeah. wild birds, almost none. But um, there was a show on television about animals that I used to watch. And, and one evening um, they used the word endangered. And I asked my father, what does that word mean? And he told me, and I thought to myself, that's bad. Um, maybe someday I would like to try to help that problem. So that was one thing I remember. And the other thing is when I was seven years old, I started to raise homing pigeons. And uh, not a lot of little boys like that, you know, have their own flock of homing pigeons, yeah. but I did. And I used to spend a lot of time with them. I would let them out every day. And then when they came back, I would feed them and I would watch them raise their young ones. And the broad strokes of their lives looked exactly like the broad strokes of our lives. We lived across the yard in, a, in an apartment building that was like a big coop for human beings. And the, the adults left for a while every day. And then they came back and they fed their babies and, and we all went to sleep and the pigeons were doing exactly the same thing. So very early on, I just got the sense that really, you know, all life is one thing, which is the truest thing about the world. All life is one thing. Mm -hmm. And I and I developed a lot of affection uh, for these pigeons who I, I knew as individuals and they're, they're very beautiful. They, they're very innocent. You know, they're, they're just trying to stay alive 
have enough food every day, keep their babies alive. And, and that's, you know, in the broadest strokes, that's what all of life, including human life, is really about. And God, like, but uh, you already have written many books before this one, you know, and I was wondering, like, what was the reason you wanted to write this book? Like, was there any specific message or specific information you really wanted to convey through this book? Well, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I'm writing about is that uh, other, other animals, they have complicated lives. They often know who they are. They know where they are. They know who their friends are. They know who their enemies are. They know what things to look for and what things to watch out for. And um, many of them, uh, that book is about culture in non-humans. Yeah. Many of them have culture. They, they have to learn how to live. It's not, it's not all instinct. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, a lot of people think that humans are the only animals that have culture. It's not, not the case. We have the most complicated cultures but other animals also need to learn. They need to be taught by right. elders. How do we live here? What do we do? Where do we go? Where, where is food? What is dangerous? Those kinds of things. And this was the same question like I was about to ask you. Like you really mentioned a lot of things about culture in this book, in Becoming Wild. Uh, does all the animals show the culture of how to make friends how to make peace with others, how to make even enemies fight with each other. Does it like common in all the animals, all wild animals, birds, uh, the whales, dolphins, or no, like they're only specific set of animals who shows this type of behaviors. Yeah, it's, it's not all animals. And remember when, when you say animals, animals is a very big thing. It's right. everything from corals and sponges to whales and elephants and human beings. Usually when we say animals, we think about things like mammals and birds. And animals, yes. there, there is culture in a lot of mammals. There's culture in a lot of birds. There's culture in some fish. I don't know about amphibians and reptiles as having culture. They might. Um, some reptiles do some surprisingly, uh, so, some things that are based to a surprising extent on learning. Uh, basically, many animals that live in social groups, especially if the social groups have structure where there are leaders and elders and, and followers, yeah. those are the most likely to have culture where the young ones totally depend on learning from their elders how they live. Like elephants and wolves, they, like, they usually live in pack and together. Ele elephants and wolves, yes, are, are a perfect example. Some of the whales, many of the dolphins, mm -hmm. all of the apes, um, a, a lot of birds, uh, you know, uh, monkeys uh, live in groups, a lot of the monkeys, so mm -hmm. things like that. And we giving the examples of uh, elephants, wolves, apes, uh, do they also show the sense of like uh, relationships, I would say, like especially like parent-children relationship? When they become like new parents, do they know like these are their children? They have to give them protection, give them their love, their uh, empathy, and even like take care of them. Do these? Yeah, uh, that's yes. Yeah, that's one of the most basic things. Is that um, amazing? Most most animals um, 
well, many animals have what's called parental care. Uh, some do not, many do not, and many do. The ones where the parents take care of the young, they know, they know who the young ones are. They know that those are their young ones. They're very protective. Many of them have to you know, bring food to them and really raise them. So um, yeah, for, for those that have parental care, that's what it means. It means they know who their offspring are and they protect and take care of them. And how, how they learn about this parental care, like in humans, like we usually talk from our elders, from our teachers, how they know about this parental care, like they have to take care of their babies. So is this just the instinct they have? It's partly instinct and partly learning. Often, often they are better parents the second time around. Often I, I think that they probably bring some some of what they learned as they were being raised about the relationship. Many of them watch others that have young ones and learn that way. Some of them help to raise their younger brothers and sisters, so they learn how to be parents that way. So there's a variety of different things that happen. Amazing. Uh, I just, there's one question just came up in my mind. It's going to be like a dumb question so i really apologize in advance but i want to ask that we usually thought in school is that human is evolved to like thousands and thousands of years and now we have become what we are today right is there any studies out there that says like there's another species that is showing same trends of evolution maybe like in thousands of years from now on like it can become in same level of it can has the same level of intelligence we human have or maybe they can speak same language or can able to communicate with us like we have dolphins whales who are very intelligent today but is are we going to see any evolution in in next years well if if we do we won't personally see it because it will mm. be hundreds of thousands of years from yeah. now probably but um, who knows? Uh, one, one thing I read one time was uh, speculating that dinosaurs were on track to become very, very intelligent and might have become human-like. I mean, you don't have to be human-like to be very intelligent. The thing with us is that we have our fingers and our hands. There are dolphins that are probably as intelligent as humans, but they can't do any technology because they don't have hands. So it's a combination of things that make humans physically and mentally capable of what we are. But another thing to remember is that there were probably 20 or so other species of humans. And for some reasons that are not currently known, all of them went extinct, Mm. except for our species, well, and, and our immediate ancestors, right? Of course, our immediate ancestors did not go extinct. They evolved into what we are, but there were other lineages like Neanderthals that were off on another direction. Um, yeah. And uh, we, we may have, some of them lived not that long ago, a few, a few tens of thousands of years ago, our species may have simply killed them all 
when we met them. I mean, if you look at what we tend to do to other cultures that we meet, indigenous people and tribal people, there's a lot of slaughter that is, you know, very well documented that happened in the last 500 or 1,000 years, 2,000 years. To remember, there were maybe 20 other species in our, in our genus, um, and none of them survived in the pres into the present with us, except maybe, uh, you know, we all have uh, Neanderthal genes, uh, those of us in, from Eurasia anyway do, not from Africa, because the Neanderthals were European. So in a sense, they didn't quite go extinct, but uh, obviously there's, there are no Neanderthal uh, communities, there's no more Neanderthal individuals, no more Neanderthal culture, right? So what happened to them? Maybe we killed them all, I'm not sure. It's quite possible that there were other human beings, others in, the, in, in our genus that were as intelligent, maybe would have um, developed similar technologies and just not have been as aggressive. We are a very, very aggressive species. So um, if, there, if any other animals are listening to us now and are thinking of evolving into human-like forms within a million years or so, please don't be as aggressive as we are. Please be nice. Look at some indigenous cultures of homo sapiens and emphasize community. Think about your children and make it a better world. That's my message to you. <laughs> lovely message, lovely message. Uh, because you mentioned that, like, I also remember I, I read that, like, we used to have many different types of humans. And there, there was, like, theory in that video. It says, like, they, it, the Earth has a natural filter that there can only be one species who can be dominant in planet. Like, it was like that theory, like that. That was the reason, reason they said, like, why the other humans become extinct. I don't know if that's going to be true or not, but I just remember that video. Well, I don't know if that's really a scientific kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are, there are many other kinds of animals that have many species. There are many species of dolphins, for instance, and many of them overlap with other dolphins. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't think that's necessarily true. I, th I think uh, hypothetically, there could be other kinds of humans on the planet. It's just that uh, our species is not likely to let them exist. Mm. Um, yeah. But, you know, um, I mean, elephants, for instance, there, there are several species of elephants. There doesn't have to be one that is dominant around the whole planet. It doesn't really work that way in, in, in real life, in real biology. Not it. And I have a question, and it's just a simple question, like who we are in the eyes of animals. Like you have a dog and I also have two cats. First, who we are in the, in the eyes of domestic animals, then who we are as a human being in the eyes of wild animals. Well, uh, we, we actually have three dogs. Um, we'll, go, we'll take the easy part of that first. Uh, I think for our, for our domestic animals that, that we love and who live with us, they think of us as family. Hmm. Um, you know, they look to us, they look for us, and they think of us as family. 
Uh, other domestic animals probably think of us as oppressors um, and abusers because that's the treatment that they get whenever they see us coming. Wild animals probably only think of us as potentially dangerous or neutral. Probably there's not a lot we do for wild animals, particularly unless, you know, the birds in our backyard, when they, when we come out in the morning, they know that we're going to fill the bird feeders. So they probably see us as a positive thing. Mm. So that's how I think about it. Do wild animals know, like they think, does they think about us like as another type of animal who they should be fear or who sh should they be like, show some kind of other emotions? Do they know like we are bringing danger to them? Yes, they certainly do. And they know the difference. There are some animals like deer that live uh, in national parks, even wolves that live in national parks. They're not very afraid of people because people there are not dangerous to them. Yeah. Outside of parks, they're very fearful. They know that people are dangerous. There, are, um, there was an experiment done with elephants in Africa where people, researchers played them humans talking in three different languages. The, the language that was used by tourists who never bothered the elephants, the elephants ignored. The language uh, that was being spoken by Maasai people, they ran away from when that, when that, that um, recording came out of the speakers, you know, and there's a recording, it didn't have any scent. It didn't have anything visual. It was a speaker hidden in the bushes but the elephants knew the difference between the different people based on their language. Wow. And I, I have, do they also show the human behaviors as well? And uh, the thing why I'm mentioning human behavior is that like, I'm gonna talk about discrimination and racism. Like we have like that problems in our society. Do they animals, especially wild animals, also discriminate? Like, let's say, let's be, uh, take the example of elephant. If some elephant has a different color spot on his body skin, will it be welcomed same by the other animals, or will it be discriminated? Uh, I don't. I don't know of any discrimination among other species that is based on appearance. Mm. Um, in fact, an interesting thing about chimpanzees. They're all born with white faces and then their, their faces get black when they get to be adults. But once in a while, one of them matures and their face does not darken. And it doesn't seem to make any difference at all to them. They've, they've, solved, uh, they've solved an issue that humans cannot seem uh, mature enough to deal with, which is what color your face is doesn't matter. So they don't show that discrimination, but they definitely knows like if a stranger from another pack is entering their tribe and they know like they never met that that wolf or that elephant and maybe they shouldn't let him enter. In, in well, with tribe. elephants, they do they do know all the all the ones that they know. They they can know maybe a thousand other elephants and dozens of other families. Some of the families are, are particular friends. They like to hang around with each other. Some of them don't. They don't really, they're a little bit nervous around strangers. They're a lot like people in, in, in this regard. With uh, orca whales or sometimes called killer whales, 
there are different communities and uh, the communities are made of many pods there can be hundreds in a community and the, 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 the subunits are called pods within the within the pods are families but the communities do not mix that's what that's what makes them communities is a group of pods that will not mix with another group of pods mm. in a community all the pods mix and they socialize they will not socialize with with members of another community they don't particularly show uh, hostility toward them but they do discriminate in in the sense that they they will not mingle with them that's amazing so they just like if they're not showing any hostility like they're just ignoring it and the other is just they, going they, back they avoid them. they avoid them if if they That's detect each other you know from a, a half a mile away or something like that they they tend to turn around they, yeah, that thank yeah, you nobody so much. really knows why either you know they don't know what 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 is going on with them but that is the way they behave yeah i i also like read about that uh, in one of the articles when i was researching about it uh, like whales like to have like their food in together they usually like uh, eat together like when they eat fishes and they also like live like very separately to the other communities but in the same like let's say in the same uh, ocean some same part of oceans like they usually just move away if they if they uh, listen to other other whale coming or you know that that's yeah it's it's um yeah with different whale species do different things uh yeah it would take a long time to explain uh, some of the different ones but yes um some of them also have these groups where where if you're in that group all the individuals socialize and there can be hundreds in a group but they will not socialize with a different group which the scientists call those clans mm -hmm. yeah amazing uh, again uh, thank you so much karl uh, may i ask like what is the new project is you are working on like any new project new work because yeah, you know? I'm, i'm working on a, a book that is about uh, um, some owls that are nesting in our backyard and i'm using that story to talk about how different human cultures have viewed nature very differently as we were talking earlier about western culture versus indigenous south asian east asian that's that's what the book that i'm working on is going to be about that's amazing i i remember i saw that picture like uh, you shared it i think in one of your presentation like uh, your owl uh, and the the kids i think white owl owls maybe in your backyard yeah yeah amazing uh again thank you so much carl uh, to coming on the show may i ask like what can i do for, uh, even if it's a little how can i support you maybe is there something i can do for you well i i think um you know i think having me as a guest is is what you can do for me you know um we're having this conversation that other people will share and what i gather is that you don't usually talk to people um who who work on these topics that we're talking about so i think that's really nice and it's 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 wonderful and oh, that's really nice and it's also going to be like a very different type of 
uh, episode for my listeners as well. I'm planning to bring this type of genre again. And Carl, uh, how can listeners connect to you? Like, if is there any other uh, online sources they can reach out to you? Oh, sure. Yes. Uh, well, uh, first of all, my name, Carl Safina. Uh, you know, I'm on all the usual social platforms. Our website is called safinacenter.org, safinacenter.org. And I have a personal website, carlsafina.org. Amazing. Again, thank you so much, Carl, for giving your time today. Okay, Harpreet. Thank you.